I would say there was judgments. No one said to me, there is a narrative which, again, really important to bring to the table. And it is fetishization of mixed race children. So the Kardashians have them. They're really cute. I'm going to have a cute baby, a cute brown baby. And then there's the objectification of black men. And none of that sits well with me, obviously. And so there was an element to that. And I'm not that person. Like, I'm just not that person. And so that may have been in my mind. I may have been judging myself. Maybe no one thought it at all. But... It comments have been made like, oh, even extra child, you must love black men. I hate those words coming out of my mouth. I really hate it because welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Old Podcast where I have a different guest come on and talk about things in their life where at the time it felt like a loss. And when you don't understand what I mean by a loss, I'm talking about if you look at life in a binary term and you're, everything lines up, I'm going to wake up, I've got my clothes ready, I've got my shoes ready, I'm freshened up, I've brushed my teeth, I'm good to go, I'm fed. The bus is meant to get hit this time. You walk out the door, the bus ain't there, the bus broke down. That's a loss. Sounds stupid and insignificant, but you don't know what that rest of the day had planned for you. Things like that happen all the time on smaller scales, on bigger scales, but it's personal to us for various reasons. That's what we're going to explore. I have a guest who I will say is fantastic. People know she's fantastic because she's been on before. And I'm so grateful that she decided that she wants to come back on and share a little bit more about what she had to go through growing up because she's so eloquent. She's so passionate about what she does. She's a fantastic specimen of a human being. And I just so grateful for all the things she does and the people that she represents who may not have the voice or have the platform enough to be able to say what needs to be said. So without further ado, I have Orla. Orla, how are you? And please introduce yourself to those that haven't listened to the previous episode you was on before we go into your first L. Hi, thank you so much for that beautiful bio. Um, I am privileged, I feel privileged to be back on our last episode. I talked about some really tough things and I feel like I've come out the end of challenging few years. So I'm really happy to bring something. Yeah, a bit. I feel more positive. I feel more energetic um, to be here. So my name is Orla McKeating. I am a founder. I'm a founder of Still Our Eyes Diversity Storytelling. I'm a single mother to a mixed race son, Elliot. And my purpose in life is to create trusted spaces where all people feel seen, heard, valued and supported. And how I do that is through my work. It's through what I speak about online. It's through what I learn and unlearn and relearn in my own time. And it's doing things like this. And 
really having difficult conversations, I suppose, to reduce stigma and make the world kinder and better. Can you imagine, folks? You saw how much she had that all lined up, ready to spew out. That was so well delivered. It was unreal. So your first L, so folks, if you don't know, I get L sent over to me. Not like that. That sounds weird. I get people sending me what L's they want to talk about. I kind of don't pay too much, too much attention. And then when we get to the interview, we took it a little bit further. So all I want to talk about allyship. When I see that, I think she wants to talk about allyship because having a mixed race child in an environment that isn't that diverse, shall we say, I can imagine how it can come across as a bit of an L because now you're having to fight for a group of people who you don't have around you, I'm assuming. But I'm interested to know where you want to start this up from the top and how it played out. Yeah, so my L this time is allyship because I feel like we need more allies in the world. I feel like in our current climate where there's a lot of cancel culture, I hear and sometimes I feel like, is it my place to speak up? I, a white, straight, cisgendered person of privilege, can I really talk about race? Can I really talk about the trans community, LGBTQ plus community, people, the disability community and people with disabilities? And yes, I can and I must. Because I never remember the quote fully, but it is being silent is taking the side of the oppressor. And I feel really passionate about that. So the way I live my life is if I see something or hear something that isn't fair or unjust, I will speak up about it. I'm getting better at speaking up about it. I used to speak with anger. And now I just kind of seek to understand why people think the way they do, why they say the things they do, because ultimately a lot of the injustice in the world is down to systematic and institutional setup. And so how can I be a better ally? What do I need to put in place? What do I need to learn? What habits do I need to introduce And it's just never ending because the world's evolving, society's evolving. And it's all, I suppose, as well about stepping into discomfort and having uncomfortable conversations and moving away from needing to be liked. So I went through such a phase, like all of us do, of needing to be validated, needing to please everyone and being that people pleaser. And actually, if I really want to live my purpose, then I need to step it up and I want to step it up and I want to be a better ally. That's it. So what does that look like? And it can be so learning. I listen to loads of podcasts. I try and read a lot of books. I look at my friendship group. Is my friendship group like me? Is it diverse? Do we have the conversations that are trusted, that are challenging, that are authentic, that are respectful? The food we eat, I have sons, was just him and I. The food we eat in the house, the conversations we have in the house, the things we watch on TV, the the things that he has access to as well. So he's getting a bit older where he can be on YouTube, where he can be online. And it is just really, yeah, just it's a lifestyle. Like allyship is a lifestyle. And I think we all need to be allies. So what made you decide that you had to become an ally? So I grew up in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, during the Troubles. So I was born, I grew up during the 80s and 90s. 
and I it was a very segregated society so it was green and orange Catholic Protestant we lived we were very privileged we lived in a mixed area um we didn't have we didn't live in a war zone in terms of people being shot in front of us I was never in a bomb I was in bomb scares it's so normalized for people in my generation that actually whenever I even speak about it like this or whenever I speak about it outside Ireland it actually is not I mean it is very random so when we used to go into town shopping we had to go through security when we went to the airport we had to go through security we had um I remember going to the cinema for the first time when I was a teenager and mum was always like sit beside the fire exit always kind of versed on what to do if there was a bomb which is just not normal growing up and so all I really knew was yeah and the mindset was very segregated as well which is passed down and obviously transgenerational trauma as well is a huge thing in uh, Northern Ireland. I think we have the highest rate of male suicide, second highest in the world possibly. Uh, I'll, I'll share the actual fact. Um, and very much still in a society and a culture where it's like, just you're like, you'll be fine. Don't talk about it. It's grand. And so it was really, it was like living in a goldfish bowl. Everyone was like me. They looked like me. They spoke like me. And they thought like me. And we were just sheeple, really. And that was safe. But I always, it's so random. I always felt a little bit different. And I don't know what it was. I kind of know now. I think my brain works a little bit different than most people's brains. But I grew up like that and I always kind of knew that there was more, but I wasn't sure what it was. And then I did a year abroad for my, as part of my degree and I lived in Spain and it was like, right, this is it. That There is so much more out there, so much more. So I did a year there and it was amazing. I love other cultures. I love learning about other things. I lo- always loved creating like community. So at that point it was you know, I went to Spain and there's obviously all the people, all the students that spoke English. Straight away, I was away to like, I hung out loads with the French ones because I just love their culture, wanted to learn French and just always really, really curious. And then after I finished my degree, I moved to Belgium for three months, ended up staying for 10 years. And I lived in Brussels and there really was like, it really was diverse. And it was diverse to look at. It was diverse in mindset. It was diverse in terms of, where you, you access to different cultures, different food, different faiths, different beliefs, different attitudes. And I just really thrived in that environment. I worked in the European Commission and then I worked in fashion and it was just unreal. And it was a real privilege to have access to that and to really be, to live in that society where I was the other very often. So I was the one who so when I started working in fashion I didn't speak French and so I used to go to these photo shoots and I didn't speak the language at all so it was like how do I do this I learned very quickly but I suppose putting myself in a place where no one knew my family I had you know I suppose in Belfast 
people will know someone I know. So you have that connection there and you're nearly trusted. You don't need to prove yourself. But I was in this space where I literally was a number, like no one knew what school I went to, didn't, didn't care. They didn't know my family. They didn't know my community, none of that. So it was like really proving yourself from that being the other. And that was interesting. Then I moved home pregnant in 2012 and I had grown up in an Ireland where, so actually I missed the, the main point was that me and my son's dad broke up. So I left like in a kind of crisis situation, moved back home, seven months pregnant, packed a, packed a bag and left. Only thing I was worried about was being a single mom because I grew up in Ireland where if you were an unmarried mother, it was wrong. Like it was bad. So the I don't know if you've heard of the mother and baby homes north and south of Ireland. So basically, Ireland was run by the church. If you became pregnant outside marriage, you were sent to an institution, a mother and baby home, it was called. The first one opened in the early 1900s. The last one closed in the year 2000, actually in Belfast. And basically you were sent in there. You had your child. Very There was a lot of abuse went on. There was actually just a content warning for abuse here just coming up there was mass murder of newborn babies in the south in county galway that is all coming out over the last few years there was lots of abuse in these convent institutions and we were just brought up to not ever get pregnant outside marriage because that was the that was the biggest fail you could do so I moved home and it was like shit I'm gonna be a single mom I have failed like I have failed I that this is it like my life is over I remember coming home really heavily pregnant and I was just trying to hide it it's really hard to hide a really pregnant tummy and I had the baby and it was like just down didn't want anyone to see and it was that element of like going away and then coming back anyway I think I would have probably felt like a bit of a like shit and back home like with mom and dad at 30 and then I had my son and he is mixed race or multi-heritage. He identifies himself as mixed race. And actually, it was much more than that. So I'm raising a band of mixed race son in our world. And I first, well, the first thing I noticed was the lack of representation in books and learning resources and TV programs of both families that look like ours and characters and heroes that look like him. So there was the element of the lack of representation for single parent families just fed into that stereotype, the whole prejudice that comes with being a single parent, mostly mother. And then the lack of representation of black people, because where they were represented, that was feeding into that stereotype as well. And so I nearly, as a white person, it was like this new role then of, right, I, I need to... I need to know more about this. I need to know, like the world is not what I thought it was. And he first experienced racism in school at six years old. And it was just like, it was just brushed away. It was like, that doesn't, that's not a thing. Like you have imagined this, he's imagined it. Racism doesn't exist. Blah, blah, blah. And I, that was it. Like that was the point where I was like, right, I, ne I need to do something about this. And I think that was the real aha moment in my life where it was like, I was on my own. So I had always kind of got everything that I wanted or needed. And at that point, no one got it. Like no one got it. So it was like nearly no one really said it directly, but no one got it. 
So whenever I'm talking to my white friends who and family, it was just like, yeah, but maybe it's not. Like maybe, maybe you did. I was like, right, well, I'm going to get to work then. Reached out to other multi-heritage families, did read books, reached out to community groups. Actually, that's probably around the time. To, would we, No, we met a couple of years after that. And it was just like, right, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to not fight, not fight my son's battles, but I need to be that. I didn't know what an ally was then, but I need to be that person. I need to understand and I want to speak up and I want to raise awareness on this. And then it went, the more I knew, then it was all of the intersectionality that comes with that. So it was all of the underrepresented groups um, and the barriers and the challenges and the prejudices and the discrimination and the abuse that does go on. And that's when it changed for me. So now it's like, how do I influence people who don't have a mixed race child or who don't have a friend with a disability? How can you influence allyship? Because unfortunately, the people who make the big decisions are the ones who are not underrepresented. That's really interesting because I wanted to ask a question. So... Before having your son, how apparent was it? And this is before you traveled away. How apparent was it that there was a lack of diversity in your community? Well, it wasn't. There was one black family, my best friend at primary school. So when I was from six to 11, she was mixed race. But that was it. Like I was so unaware, like so unaware before I went away because it was I suppose it was all I knew so like any other or othering was Protestant because I was Catholic I mean a mixed marriage in Ireland was Catholic and Protestant and some people still think that that's a mixed marriage and so so that's nearly the thing kind of circling back to how then do I or do we or can we influence the people who still think like that, who will never leave the country, who live in their communities where their parents, grandparents, ancestors literally have lived in the same street, where they're marrying friends of the family? And how do we influence those people to raise that awareness and to, to make change, you know? Yeah. If you grew up, and as far as you're concerned, this is life. This is all I know. There's a mixed race person whose skin looks a little bit different to mine, but it's calm. I catch a tan. We look the same. Twinning. Yay. You then grow up. You then fall for someone on your journeys. And, I, you know, we're not going to go into that topic, which is fine. But, you know, you fall pregnant. What was the biggest concern at the time you fell pregnant? The fact that it was outside of wedlock or the fact that the child was going to be different? aka mixed heritage that I was going to be a single man that was my only issue like I didn't even think because I do not love admitting this but I think it's really important to be fully transparent I was always like yeah no but like I have a black boyfriend so I'm cool like that's fine like I'm not racist I yeah what was it I have a black boy there is another I don't see color I don't see color like and now it's like oh my goodness I mean I mean (laughs) now that I know it's but that's okay because things happen that's okay I need to admit that that was like ridiculous 
but it's who I was. It's what I genuinely thought. I didn't say anything else. So just so just to clarify, I know why I I don't like that phrase, but just clarify why you don't like that phrase now. I don't see color. Yeah. Because we must see color. We must seek to understand race and ethnicity. And we must, I suppose, celebrate it, understand it, understand all the nuance, nuances that come with it. And we need to try and learn and be more aware of what we're getting fed about color, especially when it comes to children. For example, when we read children's books where the focus is on color, black and brown is always, almost always negative, almost always negative. And it, I think we did, that's kind of why, like we need to see color and understand color. Very true. And I agree with that as well. Do you think? I, I personally don't like it because it just proves that people are not willing to acknowledge a person's history, their culture, mm-hmm. their differences, what they bring to the table because they don't see colour. Mm-hmm. What, you're not bringing bangers and mash? What are you doing? Well, you don't see colour. If you did, you know I'm going to bring ackee and sawfish because that's what my culture is about and I want to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. But because you don't want to see that, you're just then erasing what I bring to the table. And that's the part I don't like about it. But the reality is that there's a system in place and the system tells you one thing and you've been indoctrinated into it. It's going to take you a while to unlearn a lot of stuff and to start thinking for yourself. Not trying to go on this whole woke movement stuff, but I think there's a point where you suddenly start to realise there are consequences to your actions and whether you comply or not comply by physically doing something or not doing something, you are actually participating in it, whether you are contributing to the problem or the solution. Hundred. I'll ask you this then. So you're a single parent. That's your big biggest stress. You come home to mom and dad, and they see you with belly, even though you're trying to hide it. Because folks, if you ain't seen her. She ain't big. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it'd have been quite prominent. Then at the time, question: Did they know that the child was going to be mixed heritage? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd met my boyfriend loads. So that's that's good. Oh yeah. How would that impact? other people's opinion of you being a single parent would that was that an issue or would it be like you're a single parent you're it don't make a difference what the child comes out if it's purple or otherwise you're still considered seen as this or is it now slightly enhanced because it's really mixed it's not just mixed from, from a religious point of view it's mixed because of culturally so i would say there was judgments no one said to me, there is a narrative which, again, really important to bring to the table. Um, and it is a fetishization of mixed race children. So the Kardashians have them. They're really cute. I'm going to have a cute baby, a cute brown baby. And then there's the objectification of black men. And none of that sits well with me, obviously. And so there was an element to that. And I'm not that person. Like, I'm just not that person. And so there may have, that may have been in my mind. I may have been judging myself. Maybe no one thought it at all. But its comments have been made 
like uh, even mixed race child you must love black men i hate those words coming out of my mouth i really hate it because when it comes to dating anyway genuinely i am 41 i don't really go for looks <laughs> because i go for character you know that's way more important for me like genuinely but that yeah so there could have been that element of it um where i was it was more the single parent thing that's fair enough so edit's born he comes out his hair don't look like mummy's his hair looks different there's some adjustment that needs to be done because potentially you can't go by head and shoulders now and stick it on his head and hope that it works there's a learning curve i'll give you a reference so with myself i've got mixed race children and i know kind of how to deal with black hair because i am but then my children have mixed race hair so now it's important for me to understand mixed race isn't necessarily just mixed race or mixed heritage. There are so many configurations in terms of how this plays out. And because of where I'm based in London, it's a melting pot. There's going to be stuff here. But if you're in a place where maybe only has one barbershop in the whole of the city for black people here, that's not good because we don't, we can't tick that one box like that. It's not doable. So it's made me have to look a little bit further, understand my history better, understand what hair texture my children have. And because I have three of them, their hairstyles are all very different, which is annoying, but I have to respect their individuality. So by you having to then, you know, I can't use head and shoulder, I can't use this. Oh, wait, I need to moisturize them because he's looking a bit ashy. I don't look that way when I get out of a shower, but he looks different. I need to do that. Did it sort of encourage the fact that wow, this is really not geared for people like him. Is there anybody out here that can relate to him? Because I want to do right by him, but I need help with this. Potentially, my head's thinking, right, this, okay, this is me now in 20, whatever year it is. People that have had mixed-race children before, how are they coping with it? And no one's done anything about it. Can we all pull together and try and do a little something so that people are not alone in this situation? Did the fact that when you noticed there were things that you couldn't do for Elliot like you could do for yourself because the products had to be different because he is different, did that amplify your awareness to the lack of diversity and inclusion within your local community? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now, it is a lot better now. There are people doing bits. There are more culturally diverse families there's more mixed race families there's more multi-heritage families you know we i think we do have even though it is just 10 years we do have better access to knowledge and resources to learn about it but at the time it was like i remember standing books and it was like what do i actually do like what where do i go with this and you know i suppose the more that i was learning it's more than hair like it's identity and it's you know, it's celebrating Elliot's culture or Elliot's heritage as well. And so I think it did. And it was, it was really isolating because I didn't know who to ask or who to talk to. And you know who was amazing? And I'm going to just say this, and it's a huge name drop, but I don't even care because she was incredible. It was 2018. I went, it was Belfast Book Week, and I decided to go to this thing. And it was an interview with Renee Lodge, and Emma Dabbery was interviewing her and I'd never heard of Emma before. So I had read Renee's book and Emma I hadn't heard of at all. And 
it was like, oh my God, fine. I, like finally someone's talking about something that I just needed to know more about. And I put up my hand at the end and I asked this question. I don't even remember what the question was, but I think what I was saying was, can someone actually help me here? Because I, I just don't know what to do. My son was getting, you know, stuff was happening in the school with him. And I read Emma's book, Don't Touch My Hair, straight after. And it was like, right, okay, okay. And it kind of all went from that. And from that day, I did meet some people that night in the audience. There were some people who, you know, were helpful and like reached out. And that was the start of a really important journey because I knew that there were answers somewhere. I knew that there was there were options. I knew that I could get resources and learn a bit more and do better as a parent of a mixed race son with Afro hair. When I look back at photos of his hair, Matt, it was awful. Like, I mean, it was just, it was terrible. But when you know better, you do better. And he now is so proud of his hair. So you just saw him. He's like, he's nearly 11, actually. And he always has his pick with him. He like really looks after it. We look for products together. Sometimes we find new products. It's great. It's exciting. He he read up on it too. We find a black barber who knew his hair who and I think as well it was really important for him to have a barber that looked like him and understood the hair and he just wears it like a crown that's amazing that's he's proud of it and that's that's where I want him to be you know that's beautiful because yeah growing up wasn't the easiest for myself especially when people say that you had big lips and whatnot and you look at people now going so you cussed me for my big lips and now you're walking around like a duck. Right. Right. So, and then, oh, look at that girl's bum. Look how big it is. And here you are getting a BBL, trying to kill yourself off. You're paying someone to sort of play with your life like that for, but I digress. Those situations for me is crazy, but I love how he's managed to find people you can relate to. And I guess I'll kind of go off on this a little bit and say, your the way your hair is, you could watch any Disney movie and you could probably say, I can do that hairstyle. You watch most people that was on TV at the time in the 80s and 90s and say, if I want to do that hairstyle, I can do it. If you don't have someone on TV that's rocking that hairstyle and they're the main character and they're like the coolest kid going and you're like, I want to be like that, but you can't do curtains because your hair texture don't drop like that. But you've got someone like Mr. T or some or Eddie Murphy or someone that Eddie Murphy wasn't age appropriate let's be fair but you know someone who was cool that looked like you and had hair like you could say I can walk around with afro pick because my hair looks like that mm-hmm. you can be that character you suddenly become the main character of your own story that that's how I interpret it to be but when you can't do it you just feel like you're an imposter because you're trying to imitate what someone else did, but my hair don't look like that. So I'm an imposter. I am not good enough. I don't stack up to that that level of amazingness that I want to achieve. And it can be quite daunting, quite scary. And I only sort of re- realise that in hindsight. And that's why, admittedly, we do watch a lot of stuff. Like we have Gracie's Corner on a lot and the kids love it. There's a lot of shows where it has black characters on it. But 
you know, it's, it is a conscious effort that my wife and I do, but we try and balance it out. So he's embracing both of his cultures because it's important not to neglect either one of them because this is who they are. Mm-hmm. I will ask you, because it's about allyship, how did the George Floyd incident impact your circle when it came to your your stance on allyship? Hmm. Great question. Well, when um, that happened, it was obviously during lockdown. I was speaking out a lot about it, a lot about it, because that was another reminder, another like unnecessary loss of a black life that could have hugely been prevented. And we have all these people putting black squares on their Instagram. And I know for a fact I could not give a shit, but they want to sell stuff or they want to look good. They want to do performative, performative allyship. We can dig a bit deeper on that as well. Performative allyship in this instance is a tiny bit helpful because you're raising awareness. That's it. Tomorrow it's back to normality, just back to everything else. But I was then terrified for my son, other people that look like my son. I mean, the global majority, really, and where we stood with it and how we could do better as a society. And so I just I just shared loads, spoke up loads about it, got loads of shit. I got trolled so much because you can't be white and talk about race, especially now, like you just can't. And then the white people, now this is a very, a big generalization, but the white people are like, but like, I mean, I suppose the whataboutery of it, which I think like don't, when it comes to that, just when it comes to racism, don't whataboutery anything. And so it gave me more reason to keep doing what I'm doing because the world is not right. And it's up to all of us. It is up to all of us to question it and to be active bystanders and to use our privilege and use our power for better. And there was um, an instance in the south of Ireland in December 2020 and black Irish guy was shot by the Garda and it was like the same again. I don't know if you'd heard of it and you know, everyone was just in uproar because this person was vulnerable and he it was another unnecessary death. So tensions were high, but I didn't stop talking because we just need to do better. And the world isn't safe for black men, for mixed race boys, older teens. I've seen it since my son has transitioned from a really cute mixed race kid to now he looks like a black teenager, a mixed race teenager. And he's already, when he was nine years old, he was profiled in the airport. He was touched in the airport without my permission. And I know why, like I know why. And I've had to tell him his rights, his that he can rhyme them off to protect himself. Because, you know, that's another thing. It's an institutional issue. These people aren't getting trained. Why are they not getting trained to know that you do not touch any child without the parents' permission? Like, that's the law. They were breaking the law. And it's just such a lack of awareness. And so we just need to do better. 
And not only when it comes to race, oh, I'm banging a thing, but when it comes to the disabled community, when it comes to LGBTQ plus community, when it comes to the trans community, when it comes to the intersectionalities, and we need to show up. Did you lose a number of people from your social circle during that George Floyd incident? Yeah. Okay. And I lost respect for a lot of people that I didn't clearly know very well. And kind of goes back to your silence is complicit to the oppressor. If all that's going on, and I'm going to make an assumption here that it was exhausting, it was tiring, it was just causing all manner of fatigue having to defend what you're saying, what you stand for, wouldn't it have just been easy just to just say, I ain't going to say anything anymore? Yeah, but if it's easy, it's weak. If it's easy, you're the, you're, you're facilitating it. If I saw that happening and I didn't say something or I didn't do something, it doesn't sit well with me. It, and I'm not like, I'm not being a saviour. Yes, there are times when I reel it in because I need to look after my own mental health to be a good parent. Like, that's what I want to do. But not often because I'm just kind of like, do you know what? If you don't like it, that's okay. Like, that's okay. If you don't like it, that's okay. And very often people that don't like it will realise in time, you know, so I'll share facts, I'll share data, I'll share my opinion and do with it what you see fit. Like, I mean, facts are facts. Data is data. Open your eyes. Like, open your eyes. My approach is definitely different now because, you know, you're not going to influence people by giving them shit. You're just not. Like, you, people are just going to shut down. So how, and this is something I'm really working at now, like, how do you influence people who just don't know? Like they genuinely don't know. They don't get it at all. And there are people who potentially just say, but I don't see color. I don't want my children to see color. It's like, it's things like that. How do you have the conversation? And I think then a lot of that is reading the room and kind of sharing facts. And I guess as well, trying to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations, which I guess what I do <laughs> in most of my episodes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If we go back a little bit, what would you say was your hardest and lowest point when it came to you being an ally where you was questioning if the effort was worth it or potentially that you was being overzealous because you wasn't letting anything drop. You was catching everything. And you was dashing it back at those people that were throwing the stones in the first instance. <laughs> oh my God, I know what it was. Oh, I never was going to stop, by the way. But I remember putting on a Northern Ireland business group on Facebook. And I was like, there's like 70,000 people on it. And I was like, uh, we have a list of the black owned businesses in Northern Ireland, please. That was it. And of trolling I got I oh my I was called sectarian I was I mean all of this I was called racist because you know it's racist against white people if you promote black business and at the start I was answering to every comment and then I was like fuck this shit I'm just fucking not like go and fucking educate yourself like it's 2020 you've access to google go like this is meant to be a safe space so I messaged the guy that runs the page right and I was like, this has got out of hand. Take the post down. 
And he wrote on it, Orla sends her apologies for being political. I've taken the post down. And I was like, mate, I didn't even. So that was the point where I was like, we need to keep going. Like there needs to be a lot of work done because I've mostly always been freelance. Um, I'm employed. I'm in employment now. But so I chose my circles. Chelsea, I was listening to it. Choose what I'm reading. Choose what I give myself access to online. And actually, that's great. But those are people that think like me. You know, they're going to understand and they're going to like, even when they don't, it'll be, they're going to be curious. I need to speak to the people and be connected with the people who don't think like me. So it was hard, obviously, you dropped that into the chat. You got all that abuse. They're lying to cover and say that you apologized and you're there. Was there any point you was at despair where you was just low? Because I admit that was a very hard time for me because I felt it's my fault that my children will now get profiled because of me. Not because of what my wife brings to the table, because of me. And that's a very hard burden to realize. Whether it be my wife that I've got or someone else, that's what I contributed. And I'm not going to say I wanted to give up, not saying I wanted to quit, but it just felt like I don't want to have to stop and deal with every dog that's barking. I just want to keep on my journey and do what I need to do. I don't want to have to explain to my son why he can't wear a hoodie with the hood up and his other friends can Mm -hmm. because he will be targeted and be accused of doing things over another. I know I've had my low points in regards to that, but I've had my wife. You have a support network, but I don't know to what capacity. But when you felt low and you felt this is hard, I'm fighting. And being a parent on its own is hard work. Irrespective of how many children you got, it's hard if you're taking it seriously like that. If you're a single parent, it's hard plus a lot less rest <laughs> because you could barely go to the toilet on your ones without well, forgetting closing the door when you go to the toilet. You just got to have it open now. It's just hard. But then who's then there to ground you, to help keep you focused on what's right? So if I said, you know, whatever time it was that you felt low, if you was to go back in time to the younger version of yourself and speak to yourself when you felt like, oh, I just can't be asked. I, I honestly can't. I know I've got to do it, but I am just physically, mentally, emotionally drained. It would be so much easier right now. And I know easy is not good to tap out, but I just need to relieve some of this pressure that's on me. What would you have to tell yourself to encourage you to say, don't give up, just keep putting that foot in front of the other? I would advise myself what I'm doing now. Meditate, sleep, exercise, cry. I cry loads then. I never really cry anymore. Um, touch weight and I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have a big crying fit but yeah just build that mental fitness because it was never a case of stopping it was never a case of stopping it was maybe toning down a little bit but the message wasn't going to change so and remember like for all of us then it was also lockdown so we didn't have any distractions at all so anything that was going on was nearly amplified as well which could have been good or bad or neither. So I would have been, yeah, and screen detox. Like now I keep my phone out of my room. I try not to go on it. 
after nine o'clock at night, I get up really early. I get up at five and I'm not on it. I, I journal, I meditate and I do yoga before and I get a coffee before I even look at my phone. Um, and it's all those tools to build the mental fitness to keep myself in good health that I can continue. So there's the ebbs and flows of I'm going to be a bit quieter at this point because, you know, there's been times where Elliot's been going through a hard time. There's been other things going on in the background where I'm like, right, well, my priority is my child at the minute, as in being fully present with my child. He's having a tough time. So this is going to get parked. It's kind of prioritizing. It's still there. It's still moving, but it's moving, moving less fast or it's moving with less volume, with a lower volume. But it was never going to quit. And yeah, it was. It was isolating because no one got it. Like no one got it. Strangers on Instagram got it. Yeah. But that was it. So I suppose actually when you're talking about it now, I didn't even really think about it like that. But yeah, it was. Well, if you think about it, Supermalt, so many black folks drink it. Where were they when it came to George Floyd? Did they say anything? Mm-hmm. And it's all these brands that are meant to be people that are for the black community, yet where were they? And it can be exhausted. And I'm just, one of the things I've, I've kind of learning, well, I've learned it for a while, but I'm always still learning how to do it, is it's not about winning in that way every time mm. sometimes you've got to say do you know what in a simpler way i agree to disagree but it's all right for me to just take it now and i don't need to win this battle as long as the war is eventually won for the rights for the right reasons for the right team and i think that's just yeah that's it um it is up to all of us and we can't do everything's all at once straight away and people are going to disagree and that's fine let them in fact better challenge me tell me why help me understand why you think like this help me understand why your point is valid in terms of you know will you make everything about race oh you're gonna the more you talk about race the more your son's gonna like feel like racism like all of those things it just chips away yeah and that's okay. That's okay. And that's the whole mental fitness thing. Like that's, I, if I want to go to battle, I need to put my armor on and that's my armor. And that's why, like you see me, you see my seasons every Saturday. Like that's why I do it. Like someone, an amazing friend actually was saying to me, your life is so fulfilled. You go out and you do stuff. And it's like, I do stuff because I need to be in, I need to be good. Well, I need to be mentally well. I need to be emotionally well. That's why I do it. I'm just making my brain a bit better. And that's how I cope with life. And if I didn't do that, it would be heavier, much heavier. But it's my purpose. Like you can't live without a purpose. This is my purpose. And if I can raise a mixed race son who has the self-awareness and the self-love and the self-esteem and the self-confidence in himself and his culture and his heritage that he can go out into the world and that legacy can live on and he can do the right thing then I've won I've won like that's it that's all I want like 
I'm not in it for power and glory, although there was a point where I did love the like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and sharing everything online. There was, of course there was. That's not why I did it. It's that dopamine hit that you get off, you know, the likes and the shares. And now it's just kind of like. It's deeper than that. I'm just doing it. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. And I try and find black role models for my son. That's really important to me. Really important to me. We black role models and also role models whose father wasn't present. We um, were, there was a video on Instagram and it was about Eminem talking about his dad not being present. And Elliot loves his music, their radio edit versions, obviously. Um, and as you know, it's seeing yourself and seeing your experience in other people who have really made stuff happen, who have really lived their dream. And I mean that in the loosest way possible, because, you know, what I think is Eminem's dream come true. Like, I'm not going to make those assumptions, but he's come out of a really troubled upbringing and he's found a passion and he's worked and he's failed and he's got up and he's tried again and he's had challenge after challenge and just seeing other people's haven't experienced what you've experienced just like you can see the change in people in kids faces you'll have seen it too with your kids when they see themselves in role models you know and there's so Elliot is an actor and this another thing another representation and how powerful it is I hope you don't mind me sharing because I've gone a wee bit off speak go for it we're in the like theater and stuff and we went to see Hamilton brilliant in the West End. Oh, it's unreal. And we went and we're really near the front and we'd listened to the soundtrack and stuff. But as soon as it finished, most of the cast looked like him. And he turned around to me and he was like, that's what I want to do. I said, what? And he was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be on the stage. And I was like, okay, let's make it happen. We'll definitely make it happen. And so we started doing auditions and he already, he's always been at a drama school, but he was really like that focus, that like real, like I was saying to you before we pressed record, like he is literally in the other room. So he says, but I don't like, I don't think he's going to lie about it. And he's watching audition tapes of people who have sent them in because that's what he wants to do. So the guy that played Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, the one we saw is called Carl Queensbury. He's great. So he looks like Elliot. His grandfather actually is from Northern Ireland. But he was putting, um, he put a thing on Instagram that he was doing one-to-one coaching. So I got it for Elliot for his birthday and Elliot got coaching from him. And he's got like two main parts. He was in a theatre in Belfast. He's just got that focus and drive. And had we not seen Hamilton, would he still? I don't know. But I just, like, I could just feel it. His Everything changed because he'd never, ever seen full cast anywhere that looked like him and he knew it was possible and it is possible but whenever you can't see yourself there's all of those barriers that's going to tap away at your self-esteem at your confidence and so yeah so it's finding those role models and public figures or other and that's where it can be difficult because he has amazing male role models in his life but we need more black male role models i hear that so as exhausting and as overwhelming as allyship can be because you're having to constantly learn, unlearn, 
relearn, accommodate, cater for, all of these words that you have to be proactively doing on a continuous basis and be kind to yourself if you have said things that are inappropriate or insensitive in your past or even present time and you catch yourself doing it and you've got to hope that people understand where you're coming from. As hard as that's been and that potentially is an L, what would you call it now if it's not an L, being an ally? Luxury. It's a luxury and it's a privilege to be able to be an ally. Like it is. So all of those things that you're saying, yeah, fine. But the focus is really, I don't even think about that part. And I genuinely don't. If people are coming at me at the door now and like bashing down the door and trying to kill me because I'm an ally, yes, that's where it would get. You know, if it's if it affects my safety or my son's safety, yes. And all of those things. But anything worth doing is going to have its, chal- its challenges. And I just believe that like, If we can influence more people to be better allies, the world's going to change like it is. It just is. Indeed. So what I'm going to ask you to do for the next two minutes, please plug yourself and everywhere you are and what you've got going on so the fine folks can catch up with you if they would like to hear more from the amazing Orla. Okay. So my main platform is Instagram and it's at the real Orla Veronica. I have a micro following. I got hacked at the end of 2020, um, which is actually a good thing. I started off a new um, platform and I, again, it all comes down to my purpose of creating trusted spaces where everyone feels seen, heard and valued. I share my life stuff. I share random facts. I share my journey. Then I have my business, which is still I rise diversity storytelling. And that's on my Instagram bio. And that is, again, learning through stories. We do story sessions, we do workshops, and we do training for adults. And it's learning through stories. So we will use stories that have lived, that are written by people and illustrated by people with lived experience about issues that aren't typically addressed in children's books. That could be diverse families, immigration, LGBTQ plus issues, trans issues, neurodiversity, disability. Or like it's It's always growing and it is just kind of, creating the spaces to raise awareness to learn to unlearn to relearn in a in a safe space we have community sessions every wednesday at four and yeah so we work with schools organizations all across the board so definitely follow me there i'm on twitter as well at orla underscore mckeating that is a bit more formal and a bit less active than that facebook at orla mckeating same as Instagram. I wouldn't go um, too mad on that. And yeah, just um, connect and chat and keep listening to um, Matt's podcast because it really is. I love doing this because life is so bananas that you're nearly on the treadmill of life and you forget why you do what you do. And so to have the opportunity to actually sit for an hour and be like, yeah, this this reminds me that that this is why. I exist. I really do think this is why I exist. Thank you so much for jumping on again and sharing all that you did. The way you rattled off your whole thing within two minutes, I saw you take breath and you would do it like an Olympic swimmer. You like Michael's felt there, just <gasps> wow, wow, that was incredible. So thanks again for jumping on and for sharing all the amazing things that you do for underrepresented groups thank you for sharing about your amazing son and i'm sure you're not the only one that's gone through what you've gone through as a single parent and 
it hopefully will give hope to those that feel like they're just things are slipping through their hands. They they haven't got a grasp on anything. And I would like to say to them, you know, in those situations, sometimes being a parent is difficult, like really hard. And life in general can be very hard. But whenever you feel like this moment is too much, it's overwhelming. Just remember, it's probably a blip. And in the grand scheme of things, this blip is nothing. Suspect. It's a moment in time that you will think back on, but it, but you then allow it to drown out and overshadow all the good things you've done in life. And not just for yourself, but for others who are benefiting, like by being an ally, you're speaking up in rooms that other people are not allowed to enter into for one reason or another. Would be because they're a guy, because they're a girl, because they're this complexion, that complexion, that culture, whatever. And it's so important. And I love what you do. I love how passionate you are because there is a phrase that I absolutely adore that says, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. And you had that in abundance. So for you to keep doing what you're doing, for those that may not be able to enter those spaces, I thank you. I appreciate you. And I love what you shared. And I hope that all my listeners have managed to get something from this conversation. And yeah, just hit up Orla, find out where she's, uh, find out what she's about, what she's doing more so because Trust me, this episode, the last episode, we're scratching the surface. She is just unreal. Don't worry about if you feel that things are too much for you because it's not a bad thing. It just means that you're doing a lot and a lot of responsibilities on your shoulder because you are able to carry that burden. If you feel it's too much, reach out. You'll find a support network. And like I always say, there's nothing about a caterpillar that takes can be a butterfly. Hold steadfast, do what you're doing and you'll make it. I look forward to seeing you guys in the next one. Every L Every L